It's late October 2017, and here in the United States, that means it's time for Halloween. As this day of ghouls and goblins approaches, stage blood makes its brief annual appearance into the general public consciousness. On episode 36 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, we'll go beyond zombie wounds and vampire fangs, and we'll talk about the right ways to work with stage blood to place you a cut above the trick-or-treat amateur. Out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast, putting the science in theatrical violence. Now here's your host, David Barefoot. Greetings, faithful lab rats. David here. I am the mad scientist of the ViolenceDesignLab.com. I've been designing theatrical violence since 1992, and I am your virtual coach and online mentor. I'm here to encourage you to improve your stage combat, to coach you to choreograph better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. Today, we are talking about blood, stage blood, and wound effects. This is sometimes called moulage, which is a cool name that mostly means using prosthetics and theatrical makeup to simulate injuries on volunteers. Although, honestly, most theater people don't call it that. It's mostly called that by people who train emergency responders. But it's such a cool name, you should throw it around and make yourself look smart. No, there's a long history to using blood and wound effects in theater. In 450 BC, for example, or BCE, Aeschylus wrote Prometheus Bound, and that text requires that you (laughs) stage the show around a huge mannequin chained to the ground to represent Prometheus the Titan, and they pull out his liver and heart and stuff like that. We're pretty sure the Greeks used blood and wound effects in some capacity there. In around 1150 to 1175, we get the first actual reference in stage directions to using blood. It's a play called uh, The Mystery of Adam, or Les Mystères d'Adam, if my French is still serves me from high school. And uh, we don't know who the playwright is, but it's a dramatization of the book of Genesis. And, of course, uh, Cain kills Abel in that story, and the text states that Abel has got a pot of stage blood concealed on his person. Now, of course, many of you are familiar with Elizabethan uh, works of Shakespeare, obviously, but also revenge tragedy, like uh, Thomas Kidd's Spanish Tragedy, was in 1585. That one has eight onstage murders and suicides, a public hanging, and a man having his tongue bitten out. By that point, we had gotten far away from the Greek tradition of mostly having the violence happen offstage like it does in Oedipus. So these guys are doing it right there, live, in front of people, like we want to do it now. So how do they do things like cutting a guy's tongue out? Well, apparently, the actor had a severed lamb's tongue in his mouth, And then they would reach in and pull that out. And they also would use bladders of sheep's blood, literally like uh, encased in sausage skins, which are basically uh, either bladders from the animal or even uh, intestinal linings that they would uh, fill with sheep's blood, put them beneath costumes, and then the, the stage weapons would tear them open when they were struck during the stage fight. Now... Animal blood does have the benefit of looking and behaving just like human blood, so it is the bomb when it comes to the realism department. But 
Animal blood is not only somewhat hard to come by these days, it's also gross and unsanitary, and I cannot imagine asking an actor to put a sheep's tongue in their mouth. So, because of that, people started coming up with fake blood recipes that are a bit more safe for human consumption. If you Google stage blood, you're going to find a hundred different edible stage blood recipes. Now, most of them are variants of the corn syrup and food coloring base, where you take corn syrup, like Cairo, that you buy in the store, you add a little water to thin it down a bit, you add a whole bunch of red food coloring, maybe a little bit of blue, if you're fancy, a little oil of peppermint, and you're good. Uh, there's also uh, the peanut butter base, which is, you can look, Google these recipes online. Again, you're going to find a, a bunch of them. 85% are probably going to be some variant of either the peanut butter or the food coloring. Now, the thing about this kind of fake blood is it requires different recipes for different applications. Depending on whether you want the blood to stick on the skin and just sort of hang there, or to soak through the clothes, or to spray and spatter. Often, one recipe doesn't work for all applications. One problem that, that these uh, kinds of stage blood have is their color changes with dilution. So you might have a great dark red blood and then you add a little water or add a little more corn syrup or what have you and then it starts to get pinkish and doesn't look quite as real. Now you can solve that by continually adding dye. If you're going to do go that route, I suggest going to Costco and getting the big, you know, pint or uh, half quart size of um, of red food coloring because you're going to go through a lot. And the little bottles you'll get in the spice aisle of the grocery store aren't going to cut it for very long. Now. The thing about animal blood and these kinds of edible stage blood is they have another problem. They stain like crazy. I mean, after all, detergent commercials use blood stain sometimes to show an example of a really tough stain to get out. So, enter the add some soap recipes. Now, some of these go from basing it in a kind of laundry detergent or adding a little bit of soap into the recipe. These do stain less. But I gotta say, only less. I've done blood for years and years and years, and as much as I like to tell costume people that, oh yeah, it washes out, it's fine, it depends. These non, they're not, it's not non-staining, it is less staining, and it really depends on the fabric, and importantly, how long it is until they're washed. I have often seen shows that have a bucket of water sitting right off stage or just in the dressing room so the people with the bloody costumes come out, they immediately strip the costume and plunge it into the water to hope that the stain won't, won't set. Now, the thing about soap recipes, obviously you can't eat this. You can't eat soap. It's either, it ranges from A, unpleasant, to downright poisonous. And if you're using mouth packs that are edible and body packs or other packs that are non-edible or soap-based, you have to be careful about mixing. Uh, true story, uh, my uh, business partner in Chicago, Richard, and I were doing a Henry VI, and there was a scene where an actress had a mouth pack. She grabbed the wrong blood pack, and she grabbed a soap-based pack, put it in her mouth, and at the appropriate moment, broke it. And made her sick, like, instantly. I mean, she, she got through the scene because she was an amazing trooper, and I, I don't know how she did it, you know, but she she got off stage and then vomited. It's, it's awful, awful stuff to have in your mouth. I'm surprised she could get through the scene. So, 
both the Cairo syrup or peanut butter blood, the edible stuff, it, it stains pretty badly. The soap stuff doesn't stain as badly, but you can't eat it, and the the staining is is still evident if you over a long haul. You'll still things start to take on a pinkish cast. Now, if you were uh, a, a fan of the podcast back in April, or you've gone back and listened to those episodes, you notice that one of our our hot spur challenge was sponsored by gravity and momentum who put out a stage blood called blood jam actually they have a couple of products they have blood jam blood syrup and blood juice i'll talk about that in a minute but i want to mention this here and I, fair disclosure they they do not they're not sponsors of this podcast i'm not getting paid to do an advertisement or anything like that I just happen to know the creator of this kind of blood. His name is Greg Poljasek. He's a Chicago stuntman and scientist. He literally has a a chemistry background. And he went to work on the problem of stage blood. And he came up with an edible, non-toxic solution that essentially takes the, the pigment, the red pigment that is necessary for stage blood, and binds it to itself. He explained that that dyes, like in red food coloring, have chemical handles that are literally looking for something to clamp onto. That's why we get staining. They, those chemical handles find other open um, molecules in, uh, you know, the, the, on the clothing or whatever, and they latch on. So Greg figured out a way to, with edible products, to close off those handles so that the the color is essentially in suspension, but it is not looking for something to attach to. In other words, he made a blood that is both edible and completely washable. It just sits on top of whatever it's on, whether it's your skin or the clothing, and a little running water literally washes it, it away no matter how long it's been sitting there. It is amazing, amazing stuff. If you go to Gravity and Momentum, all one word, .org, you can see his products. He's got Blood Jam, which is his thickest stuff for, like, hanging blood. And you can thin these down, by the way, and the color doesn't change. It's great. He's got Blood Syrup, sort of a medium, sort of standard, and then Blood Juice, which is for spraying and spatter applications. These, when you first see these blood products, you're going to go, whoa, okay, those are um, more expensive than I can do myself. And that is true on the surface. They are. And at first, theaters will bulk until they see, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to replace costumes, or I don't have to do laundry nearly as much. I can just rinse it in the sink and hang it back up. Or, oh, we didn't ruin the couch because we got blood all over it. It will pay for itself. It's about the only blood that I use these days. I, I don't mean to make turn this into an infomercial, but I, I strongly suggest you check out his products uh, at gravityandmomentum.org. Okay, now that you have stage blood, and I'm going to assume that you've picked your favorite recipe or you, you've gone to Greg and got his products, you have stage blood. Okay, the first question you have to ask yourself in the show, and this is one to talk over with the director as well, is, is blood necessary? Theater, unlike film, can get away with not using blood every time there's a wound. It depends on how realistic we want to uh, do the show. Are we trying to be trying to make it look as graphically realistic as possible, or is that not the focus? Blood and wound effects are important for showing consequences, real-world consequences of violence. If you show blood, it is showing that. 
a lot of the time. And there is some tone stuff as well. We can get blood is also very useful for comic effect if it's over the top. If we see someone just gushing blood, like as in uh, the Black Knight in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, those those can be played for comic effect. So first of all, see if you can get away with not having blood. Why do I say that? Well, because blood gets everywhere. When you have a scene with blood in it. Directors will often think, well, okay, Bob gets uh, maybe stabbed in the stomach, and so we'll have a little blood pack on his on his shirt. Or Edna is going to get hit in the mouth, and maybe she has a little blood capsule, and she'll put a little blood out her mouth. So that's, that's, that's fine. The problem is, I guarantee this blood will not stay on Bob and Edna. Bob's shirt, yes, gets wet, and then he falls to the ground dead. Ah, right, of course. Now there's blood on the stage. And now another actor comes, and he steps on that. And then, A, he tracks it across the stage. Then it gets into the dressing room. Or another actor falls down in the same place. And before you know it, that blood has made its way onto a costume that isn't even in the scene, and you can't figure out how it got there. So it, it gets everywhere. It's just a fact of life. And if it can't clean out, or if there's something that is completely unwashable, it is tricky to have blood and people need to be aware of it. Also, your costume team is affected by your inclusion of blood. Do laundry or provide replacement uh, uh, costumes or or several rotating costumes of the same kind all the time. They're going to have to do laundry every night and that is a huge imposition for many customers. Some of them come in, they, they design the show, they're there through opening and they'd like to leave until the show is gone but they may have to come back night after night after night or it may be put onto your stage manager. So there's a logistical concern. I have in fact before worked in the cost of a bouquet of flowers to the costumer on heavy blood shows just to say, I'm sorry that uh, we're going to cause so much work for them. So if if the show can conceivably get away without having blood, I tend to go there. Another way to think about blood is to stylize it. Theater can get away with more... Uh, different styles of presentation than most modern American films can. We can do things that are not photographically realistic. They're, they're only representational. You could, in the right show, have a red scarf pulled out of a hole in the costume to represent blood. We've done a thing where uh, a person dies, and we've actually, from underneath the stage, pulled out a large sheet, um, uh, like several yards of red fabric that kind of shimmer out. It's very cool, but of course it requires... An overall uh, design aesthetic for the show that matches that. I can't exactly just do that in, I don't know, Death of a Salesman. It would look very weird. Although, I guess there's not typically any blood in Death of a Salesman, but I hope you get my point. The next thing to think about is water packs. Obviously, water does not stain. It's simply water. But many costumes that people are wearing... uh, will darken with water. In other words, if they're not wearing white, say they're wearing a dark red or even a dark blue, blood will darken the costume, but it won't show bright red against it. Well, water tends to do the same thing. Given the right fabrics, water will darken something, especially if it's a red dress or a red shirt. It's beautiful. You do a water pack, it darkens it. We assume it's blood, it's in the right place, and yet there's no 
um, uh, staining, obviously, and no expense. It's just water. You can also do this under a red light. Uh, Rick and I did a Titus Andronicus, which, of course, requires you to cut off the hands of uh, uh, Lavinia. And by putting her under a red light, we were able to have gushing blood, you know, spattering through the air. But you couldn't tell that it wasn't colored. You could see the water from the red downlight, but you couldn't see it. You could not tell that the color wasn't already red. Therefore, a lot of blood, no staining. So think about using water packs. Of course, if none of those solutions work, you you have to have blood. It can't be stylized, and you don't have the benefit of some way to use water. You got to use blood. That's fine. Let's talk about blood delivery mechanisms. The point is, in film, theatrical and, and special effects like this are handled completely differently than in theater. In film, we can always stop the uh, stop the scene, apply some blood. And uh, and then restart again, or we can have a, a quite a, an elaborate apparatus out of the camera's sight to deliver blood right where we want it. Uh, we can also set up minor explosives to do squibs and like to look like a bullet entry or exit wound. We can do a lot of things that are not theater. Theater, we have to hide the effect from the audience and yet deliver the blood at the place of the wound at the moment of the wound and do all of this probably, in many cases, less than 10 feet from an audience member. It's a high bar. So we have developed a lot of blood delivery mechanisms to handle this. The first one, and the most common, most simple, is the blood pack. This is simply a a baggie, a plastic baggie, like you'll buy for your lunch lunch bag, that is filled uh, with blood, not full, by the way. <laughs> by the time you're talking an ounce of blood in the corner there, that's a huge blood pack. A little bit goes a long way. But you fill the corner with blood, twist it to, to make that, that uh, little pocket of liquid that you have there really tight, tie it off with an overhand knot, press the knot down, make it as tight as possible. A loose baggie won't pop, and then you'll you won't have anything. So you want to make this little like a little it looks like a little red gem when you're done because it's all really tight, usually pointed on one end uh, because of the corner of the baggie. Then you clip off the excess. That's a blood pack. And there's a lot of ways to do this. If you just have a blood pack, you can squeeze it in your hand and you know you can slam it against the wound. It pops that way. It can be under the, the costume in certain circumstances. You can pop it that way. You can also, if you need to have a spatter, you can use a blood pack to do that. We call it a shotgun pack. What you do is you take your blood pack like normal, and then you use gaff tape or masking tape to seal off all but one portion of that bag. In other words, you strengthen everywhere you don't want it to pop. Then the weak portion, the portion that is untaped, faces away, you squeeze it, and the blood will jet out. It'll break there and jet out in that direction. It's great for doing blood spatters on walls, or if you're slicing someone's throat and, and you want the uh, the blood to get on the actor who's doing the slash, you can, you can aim the blood that way. Otherwise, it just kind of goes everywhere. Some of the downsides of blood packs are... Well, they're kind of bulky. I mean, they can be like an inch or so uh, around in diameter. And you can't exactly just stick that under your shirt at your chest level without, you know, for men certainly, <laughs> without looking very strange because you have this lump on your chest. It looks like a tumor. So there are places you can't have it. Uh, it is 
also inconvenient in that once that blood pack has been burst, you still have this this little bloody baggie in your hand. Now, sometimes you can get rid of that in a discreet way. Sometimes you can even make it look like some bit of gore has uh, has come out of that. That is what that is. But there is this baggie to deal with. Uh, and so you have to think about that. And again, blood that is comes from a blood pack goes where it goes. It it can it will change night after night, iteration after iteration, and you can't predict where it's going to go. So those are some of the things with blood packs. A more uh, I don't want to say reliable, but a more controllable way of doing blood is a blood sponge. This is just a little bit of a sponge that is soaked in blood. I usually have it in one of those little, uh, I don't know, two or three ounce Dixie cups that you get, have the blood in there, and then that is attached or or stashed behind uh, set pieces or furniture, and then the actor who needs to apply blood can go behind there, use the sponge to apply blood onto their hand or or, or take it out and put it on their face, whatever they have to do, and that's a very controllable way of doing it. It's also great for someone who wants to cut their palm, for example, with a knife and you want to see blood run out, they'd have a, they have a sponge in their hand rather than a pot, a pack, because a pack will go pop and it'll, it'll, you, sometimes you can even hear it. Whereas a blood sponge, you can put it in your palm, lay the knife on it and squeeze the blade as you draw it out, squeezing the sponge, obviously, and then the blood runs out from between your fingers and looks like you cut your hand. So blood sponges are good. Squirt bottles are great. Uh, little squirt bottles uh, can be used to douse an actor with blood, obviously you have to hide this in some manner. It has to be behind a set piece or behind furniture or something. And other actors can do this. So sometimes a person get, can get hit, get knocked down, person takes a little squirt bottle and goes squirt, 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 and they come back up bloody. Kind of cool. Uh, other ways of doing this are simply a cup. Remember that little Dixie cup? You can fill that with some blood in it. And then this is great for mouth packs, for someone who has to get blood and we want it out of their mouth. Then you can just take this, take a sip, have the blood in your mouth just before you're going to need it. The wound effect happens and you end up spitting the blood out or letting it run out your mouth. When it comes to mouth blood, blood capsules are a popular idea. We think, oh yeah, we can get these those, those capsules and you can buy them. Uh, they're blank little or empty little gel capsules. The problem is they have such a fractional amount of blood, it's often difficult for it to read except in film when we can get this extreme close-up. So you can try it. Um, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They are easier to hold in your mouth than a whole mouth pack is because those get crazy. You, you can't. Um, but the cup is more reliable. And all, often you can actually have it in an onstage like real cup as long as the cup's, you know, opaque or something. And they can have blood in it. They can be talking, doing their scene and get some blood that way if they can manage to do that after they the last time they had to talk before the wound. Uh, another way of doing uh, blood effects is an IV bag. Uh, like Just like you go in the hospital and you have those, those blood bags like that, you can get those with tubing. They have little, even little valves um, at the end. And those are great for delivering blood that seems to keep bleeding. Some of the coolest effects we've done are with this. There's a scene in Streamers where a person gets stabbed and then they're on stage slowly dying for the next, you know, I don't know, five or six pages. And with these bags, you can 
put a liter of blood in there and tape it to, you know, the small of their back or somewhere in an unobtrusive. And then once they get stabbed, uh, they squeeze it and the blood comes out the end of the tube, which you've run to the correct wound location. And then intermittently, they can keep squeezing that or applying pressure on that bag, which will keep blood flowing. And often, depending on whether how the tube and the, the bag is set, gravity will even do that, and it'll slowly just keep bleeding. And it's an amazing effect to see someone get stabbed in a quick wound, and then they keep acting, and you realize, wait, that, that wound was the size of a silver dollar. Huh, now it's the size of a, of a teacup saucer. Okay, now it's a dinner, now, now their whole leg and lower torso is covered in blood, and it's an amazing effect that you can do with an IV bag. You can also um, do, for blood spatters, you can do what we often call as a blood cannon. This is where you take uh, a, a one of those pump sprayers. You can buy these at uh, a lot of farm stores or hardware stores where you can fill them full of things, pressurize them, and spray. They're for like spraying fruit trees uh, with uh, insecticide or spraying fertilizer on plants, that kind of thing. You can do it with just air. So what you do is you... From the tube that comes out of there, which would normally run to a sprayer, you connect that to a longer tube somewhere on the set, and these are stationary effects, that then go to a little V, if you will, of hard pipe, like a PVC. Uh, and the, the upwards pointing V, that side, you fill with the blood. And this has to be a pretty light blood, a, a pretty watery blood, like... like uh, Gravity and Momentum's blood juice works great for this. And then you pressurize your your tank, which runs to the other side of the V. And then at the appropriate time, you fire that pressurized air, and it blows out the the blood in that tube and spatters it against your wall. This, of course, requires coordination with the set people. And again, you want a blood that doesn't stain, because now you've just spattered it across all their paint or their wallpaper or whatever that they have. So be sensitive to that as well. But it's a great way that you can get blood spatters uh, with uh, pretty much on the cheap that don't involve pyrotechnics. The other kind of blood that I haven't mentioned yet is what is often called AB blood in the industry. This is uh, a kind of blood that you can get from special effects places or theatereffects.com. And this is these are two chemicals which by themselves are basically clear, but when they touch each other, they turn red. Uh, and that that's kind of cool. This is really great for um, effects like uh, a knife slash or uh, a flogging kind of idea. Although, as safety uh, on a side uh, safety note, if you're trying, don't just hit someone with a whip that has AB blood because it's not the blood that's the problem. It's it's if you hit them with a whip, oh my god, it hurts. So please be aware of safety concerns and don't just smack people with uh, with real weapons just because it's got a, the A and B part blood on it. Um, but that aside, it can create a very very interesting effect because you see that there's nothing there and the blood appears magically right where it was touched. Uh, another way of delivering blood, and this is a different kind of blood, is the shoe polish blood. This is good for um, uh, wound effects like knife slashes. There is a kind of shoe polish called ox blood that is basically a dark red, and you can coat the edge of a stage weapon with that. Again, you have to be very, very sure that the edge of that is ground down. There's no burrs. You you cannot just take any old sword, 
put this on there and drag it across someone's skin, you might actually really scratch them. Uh, and obviously it cannot be sharp. But you put the oxblood on there, pull it across their skin, and it will leave a dark red line, which at least gives some indication of a wound that's kind of cool. There are, after we, after you talk about all those kinds of delivery mechanisms, then there is the, the area of specialty props. And this gets as creative and technical as you want it to be. You can have knives that have uh, reservoirs inside the handle and a tube inside the false blade that then comes out and bleeds when you squeeze the handle. We've done a pie uh, that bleeds. Yes, again, for Titus Andronicus, um, it's... it's sadly required, um, a bleeding pie. And we had one that actually had uh, some remote control little uh, servo pumps that would pump blood out the side of this prop pie. Here's the thing with, um, with gadget effects. They're going to work most of the time. Problem is theater is a 10 out of 10 game, and there's going to be times your blood effect doesn't work. So the fancier you get, the less chance it'll work every time. So be aware of that. So this uh, idea of blood delivery mechanisms, again, it comes, this involves a lot of disciplines in theater, as you can tell. Obviously, the fight uh, uh, person, the, the violence designer, and the director decide if, if the, the blood is needed for the show. But... It's going to involve props in many situations. It's going to involve the set person. Obviously, it's going to involve costumes. And then the stage management team or the run crew during the show. So adding blood is a decision that is not made lightly and certainly not made solely by the violence designer. Blood is great. It is fun to use and it can really amp up the intensity or honestly the comic effect of your show. But I want you to be able to, when you walk into that first production meeting and the director says, yeah, blood, I want lots of blood. You'll be able to tell her, okay, here's what that means. And also be able to give her options. Well, here's some other ways we can achieve that effect. What are you looking for? So don't just be the uh, Halloween amateur who says, yeah, what do we need is more blood, and then just does a Cairo syrup and food coloring and throws it around willy-nilly. Be aware of the effect that your blood wants to have, get the kind of blood that you need, and be conversant in a bunch of blood delivery mechanisms. It will eventually come down to you. Of course, there are more kinds of blood and blood delivery mechanisms than I have mentioned in this episode. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, email me at violencedesignlab at gmail.com. Or if you have other brilliant ideas that you'd like to share, send those in too. I never want you to think that I believe that I am the end-all, be-all of stage combat knowledge. I'm just a a working professional like many of you are, and I love to get your feedback. One of the uh, episodes that we did recently was about playwrights writing fight scenes, and there was a great comment from a listener who mentioned that I forgot something, which was that when we cast actors, they may not have the skill level for the specific choreography that's that's called for in the script as well. That's another thing that can change the, the, the 
presentation on stage. That was from Stephen Schwal, a friend of mine out in Coopersville, Michigan, who is a, a certified teacher with the Society of American Fight Directors and the founder of the Academy of Combat and Movement Education. So check him out. Great guy. Thanks, Steve, for your comment. I love getting comments and feedback from uh, listeners. It uh, it helps me keep the conversation going and know that I'm not just uh, talking into a mic and no one is paying attention. But hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would love it if you would tell a friend about it or head over to iTunes and leave me some stars and a review on the podcast page. And this podcast, by the way, is entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listeners. I have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash violencedesignlab, and you can enter a one-time gift or a monthly pledge, like Pat Carroll, a new Patreon, uh, did for me. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it. Those kinds of uh, support really keep this this podcast going week after week and defray the uh, podcast podcast hosting, web hosting, and the other ongoing costs that I incur from doing this. Well, until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out.